You will need Bibles. So if you need to borrow one, grab one from over there. I hope that you brought your own Bible. I really hope that you've got one that you brought with you. If you do not have a Bible, let me know and I will get you a Bible. I love to be able to give Bibles to people. I love to be able to have that opportunity. So if you don't have a good Bible, we have Bibles that we would love to have you uh, have that we would love to hand to you. We have them for you. Please bring your Bibles. Have them ready because we are going to go to our Bibles for our studies. So we've been talking about for the last three weeks, and this will be the last week we're on this subject. Next week, Mr. Heath McPherson will be coming up here. Mr. Heath McPherson will be coming up here. He's going to be uh, speaking to you about sin. What is it? How vast is it? What are the consequences of sin? He's going to be talking to you about the reality, the truth, the awfulness that is sin. And so that one sounds like kind of a bummer because no one likes sin. No one sits there and thinks, hey, I really would like to just talk a lot about sin. That's not something that we normally think of when we come to church. But if we're going to know what it means to conquer sin, if we know what it means to have our sins forgiven, then we need to know the depths of what sin is. So Mr. Heath will be here next week and he's going to be talking about those sorts of things and he's going to be walking y'all through the scripture. So I'm looking forward to it. I know you will be as well. Tonight though, we're going to finish up our series called Spiritual Beings and we're going to take our final look at Satan and demons. Satan and demons. So let me begin by telling you a story. Now how many of you, do y'all remember a... Um, a store that used to be uh, in Trustful, and it was called uh, Family Christian Bookstores. We're there right next to the uh, theater. Some of y'all remember it. So that was a Christian bookstore that opened up. I mean, back when that that whole uh, strip mall opened up, and it was always there. It was always overpriced, and it never had a great selection of books. Uh, it never had a great selection of a lot, but it was good that, that they were there in some ways. If you needed something quick to run in there to get a Bible to hand out to someone, if you need, it was great to have around. So one evening, I, went, I was going to go see a movie. I don't remember the movie I was going to go see. Um, but before the movie started, I had my ticket and I had some time. And so I thought, well, I'll just walk next door to the theater, and I'll walk into family Christian bookstores. Family Christian bookstores. I walk in there, and I'm looking through the books, and there was the usual fluff and stuff that they had there that I didn't really care for. You, did you ever go into family Christian bookstores? Do what? Did you play? What? You actually, you actually set up a concert in there, and you. Uh, well, I, I'm not really a concert. They asked us to play, and we played. So just me and one other You went up there, and you guys, you guys rocked it, didn't you? You guys, you guys rocked Family Christian Bookstores <laughs> to its core, didn't you? Do what? <laughs> Don't be so modest, Joe. If you just go in there with a guitar, you're gonna rock that little store. All right. So I walked in there. And I'm looking through. Um, they had a Christian music section, which at the time, Christian music was 
really hit or miss. <laughs> some of it was excellent, some of it was not so excellent. It's kind of like today. But they also had a movie section. Now, the thing about Christian movies, if you've ever seen a Christian movie, most of them are not very well acted or they don't have the budget to do some of the incredible things that you see in Hollywood. But I was walking through to see what all was available there, and you see the normal stuff. You saw VeggieTales. You saw um, the... Uh, there was a, a series that was just called Matthew, and that was a one where... That one was pretty good, where it was just... They took the Gospel of Matthew, and the whole time through the movie, they just quoted the Gospel of Matthew, and you saw a character or a, a man playing Jesus and playing the disciples and they didn't add anything to the script or they just did the text of scripture. That one was pretty good. They did one for John like that as well. But as I'm looking through the movie section, I saw a movie that surprised me and I've got its picture up here. You guys see that? The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That was stuck in to the movie section at family Christian bookstores. Now, that movie is probably going on 20 years old now. Close. As you look at the, that was, that's the, the DVD cover, what does it look like? Does it look like it's, it's like a family Christian sing-along movie? No? What is it? A demon sing-along movie? No, it's, it's, it's the exorcism of Emily Rose. What is an exorcism? What do you think an exorcism is according to what the movie's portraying? What do you think it is, Andre? Casting out a demon. Yeah. What do you think, Anthony? Pulling a demon out of somebody? That's exactly what they're talking about. So Emily Rose is um, a real person in history. Emily Rose really did get reported to have um, demons inside of her, and she really did uh, have a Catholic priest go, and he attempted to do an exorcism. Why would that movie be in family Christian bookstores? I didn't have any idea either. They don't really mention Jesus in the movie. And the reason why I can say that now with confidence is because after I saw that movie on display in family Christian bookstores, I went to the Blockbuster, because Blockbuster was a thing back then. I went to the Blockbuster nearest to me and I rented the movie and I thought, what is in this movie that makes it a Christian movie that they're going to sell this in family Christian bookstores? And so I watched it. And it has all the normal scary stuff you would expect out of a movie like that. It's got all these jump scares. It's got uh, grotesque-looking faces that uh, the lady who plays Emily Rose, she's making just agonizing, grotesque faces because she's in such torment. And the priest goes up and he's trying to exorcise the demon. He's trying to get it out of her. And the big moment... The big finale of it. The priest forces a confrontation with Emily Rose in 
kind of this barn looking area. She's escaped from the house and she's running around and there's that tree that she runs past and this kind of like a Judas tree and she's all these weird images and she's in this barn and the priest runs up and the priest is trying to cast out this demon and he finally looks at this demon that's got this girl and he says, tell me your name and Emily Rose looks at the priest and with a gargled, demonic-sounding voice, she says, we are legion. We are Beelzebub. We are... And starts just spouting out every demon name that could be thrown there. And all of a sudden, the priest somehow gets the upper hand and shuts him down for a moment. And so she, Emily Rose just kind of collapses to the ground. And... Uh, And he says, are they gone? And she says, no, they're still inside me. Emily Rose says, they're still inside me. He says, we can finish the job right now. And she says, no, don't finish the job right now. Leave the demons inside of me. I'm not kidding. This is actually in the movie. Leave the demons inside of me. Because if you leave the demons inside me, everyone will know that demons are real. And so the priest leaves the demons inside of her and they tear her body up and she perishes. And that ending is why they left that movie in The Exorcist, uh, the Exorcist of Emily Rose in Family Christian Bookstores. Did anything in that sound Christian? No. Now, perhaps it is a good thing that Christians should want people to know that there is a spiritual realm. But Christians even, in this family Christian bookstores, they get swept up into this whole mindset about what are these angels, what are these demons, what is the devil. And so much of it looks like garbage thrown out there from pop culture or media. So much of it we take from other cues rather than Scripture and we miss the reality of what we're dealing with. Now understand, demons are no joke. Demons are evil. They're wicked. They're awful. We looked at last week where they came from, kind of where they are, what they're doing. Kind of looked at sort of the, the primary things about where they began. But this week we're going to examine their power. What is the power of these demons? Alright? What is the power of these demons? And at the end we'll look at what is demon possession? Is there such a thing as demon possession? Do we have exorcisms that really could point us to an understanding that these things are real. We're going to look into the Bible and we're going to see it. So, let's move forward. What kind of power do demons have? So go ahead and pull up that first slide for us. Do demons have power in our world? Well, in the Old Testament, what kind of power do demons have in the Old Testament? Now, since the word demon 
is rarely used in the Old Testament, we might incorrectly think that there was little demonic activity back then. Because the Old Testament actually doesn't use the word demon, we think maybe there weren't any demons. But listen, the Israelites often sinned by serving false gods. All right? There were a lot of times when the Israelites would come into contact with people of other nationalities, with people of other faiths, other religions, and they would get swept up into worshiping these false gods. And when they would get swept up into worshiping these false gods, they were actually not just worshiping some sort of stone statue. They weren't just worshiping some sort of mythological Zeus-like character. No, we need to realize that these false gods were really demons. And when we see them as demons, when we see these false gods as demons, all of a sudden demons start showing up all over the Old Testament. Where do I get the idea that the false gods are demons? I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking. Because on the next slide we got some passages of Scripture we're going to be opening up to. Someone get Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17. Who wants that one? Go for it, Casey. Who wants Psalm 106, 35 through 37? Go for it, Josiah. <clears throat> so do demons have power in our world? We didn't really hear them talked about in the Old Testament unless you realize that all these false gods, all these things that the people of Israel were worshiping, they were actually demonic forces here on the world. So uh, whenever you're there, read Deuteronomy 32, verses 16 and 17. It says they're worshiping these false gods, and then it says they're offering these sacrifices to what? To demons. A demon will always try. We talked about it last week. They're always going to try to get you to look away from Jesus, always going to try to get you to look away from God, and they're going to get you to want to worship anything else. What about Psalm 106, 35 through 37? sacrifice their sons and their daughters to the demons. Now this was a very evil and wicked false god named Moloch uh, during that time. And they would go up there and they would literally take their children, their babies, and they would throw them on a fire to burn them up before this false god. And it says that it's not just some sort of false god. It says they're doing that for demons. All of a sudden when we see that what was a demon's power in the Old Testament, a demon's power was they were trying to get your eyes off of God. They were trying to get you to look at anything other than what God wanted, other than who God was. They wanted you to look at anything and they would do any grotesque thing they could to get you to do it. The worship offered to idols in all the nations surrounding Israel was really worship of Satan and demons. Let me say this. 
going back to the exorcism of Emily Rose and the idea of exorcising demons, there is no clear instance of casting out demons anywhere in the Old Testament. So you don't have Moses going up to uh, someone worshiping a false god and saying, get out, demon. You don't have anything like that. Nowhere in the Old Testament does anything like that come around. Let's move to the next slide. Go ahead and move to the next slide. Now, during the ministry of Jesus, uh, let me get someone to open up to Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Who wants that? Go for it. During the ministry of Jesus, things shift and things change in the language. It's not that things actually shift and change and that, that there, are, there are now demons around or that, that all of a sudden we've got these spiritual beings running around. It's not that, that that's changed, but the language has changed. And when Jesus came, He's casting out demons with authority. Remember what I said in the Old Testament, nobody had ever cast out demons. There was none of that. But all of a sudden, when Jesus comes walking up, He's going up to people with demons, and He's casting them out with authority, and the people were amazed. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Read Mark chapter 1, verse 27. He commands even the unclean spirits. Now that word, that title, unclean spirits, is talking about a demon. Why would an unclean spirit be talking about a demon? Why would that be a demon? Let's think about it this way. Are angels spiritual beings? Yeah, Casey, you guys... Yeah, Angels and demons don't have bodies. They're only spirit. Alright? Would we call an angel an unclean spirit? No. Why? Yeah, it would be probably more appropriately called just a clean spirit or just a spirit, a spiritual being. But to make the distinction that it's an unclean spirit means that it has felt the effects of sinning against God. It is unclean. And they're saying, they're saying, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Jesus with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they leave. So Jesus marked the beginning of something completely new. And Jesus explains his power over demons, marked that a new kingdom had come. Go ahead and move on to the next slide. Someone open up to Matthew 12. Verses 28 through 29. i tell you what, I'll open up to that one. That's the one I want to read. You guys don't get to. I want to read that one. All right. Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. And it says this. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
So in this illustration, this is Jesus talking. The strong man is Satan. And Jesus has bound him. The dark forces that are surrounding the world, the powers that are in the world at the time, which is Satan, which is demons. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. It calls him, like we looked at last week, the morning star or the, 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 great, uh, the great deceiver. That he is all those things. He rules and He reigns with tyranny and with evil and with wickedness here on the earth. And Jesus has come to the earth and He says there's a new kingdom that's come. He says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. He said, I came right into the house. I was born right into the world where Satan thinks he's the prince of the power of the air, I came, I bound him because I have authority, and I will take whomever I desire to take. I will pluck out whom I will save. Jesus entered the world of unbelievers and He was plundering His house, freeing people from satanic bondage. And it was by the Spirit of God. Are you guys following with me? Are you guys kind of tracking with me so far? Are you guys hanging with me? Okay. So now we are under a new covenant age. Jesus gave similar authority to the twelve, meaning the twelve apostles, or the twelve disciples, excuse me. And then to seventy disciples. So someone over to Matthew 10, 8. Who wants that one? Go for it, Josiah. Someone over to Mark 3, 15. Who wants that one? Go for it, and uh, I'm going to get you, Katie, over up to Luke 10, 17. All right, I'll get you all next time, okay? I'll get you all next time. Uh, well, actually, Andre, I want you to open up to Acts 8, 7. And Casey, you be at Acts 16, 18. Who wants James 4, 7? Anybody want, you got Joseph? All right. James 4, 7. What about 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9? I'll take 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. All right. So remember, Jesus gave similar authority to the 12 disciples and then to 70 other disciples. Let's read Matthew 10, 8. Who's got that one? Who had that one? Right, go for it. So he's giving them, here, this is what you're going to be able to do. You're going to clean up the lepers. You're going to be able to do all kinds of stuff. And in the middle of it, he says, you're going to be able to cast out demons. Mark 3, 15. Who had that? And have authority to cast out demons. And have authority to cast out demons. What about Luke 10, 17? Even the demons were subject to us. To these twelve, and then to the seventy. And later, this authority was extended to those in the early church. At the beginning of the church, when the Holy Spirit came, there were people who had that kind of authority. So Acts chapter 8, verse 7. Who had that one? Okay.
So they were able to send out unclean spirits. What is an unclean spirit? It's a demon. What about uh, Acts 16, 18? I command you in the name of Christ, come out of her, and it came out. All right, what about James 4 7? Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's a bit different than the dramatic things that we've seen from Acts, but even that, there's a resistance to the devil, and he will. Not just keep coming, but it says he'll flee from you. There is even that. First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine tells us this: Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. There is authority and there is power to resist the devil, to resist demonic forces. But do they still have power in our world? Yeah. In our time. Let me make this statement really clear. Demons are not in hell today. Did you guys... Is that the first time anyone in here has heard that? that demons are actually not in hell today? Is there anyone who came in here thinking maybe demons were in hell? It's okay, because that's what a lot of people believe. It's what a lot of people think. It's what a lot of Christians believe, that demons are in hell, but they're actually not in hell today. They are in our world, just like in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They're in our world. Let me ask this. Um, why wouldn't demons, why wouldn't the devil be in hell right now? Why not? Yeah. So hell is a prison. Hell is a prison that is created for the devil and his angels. And for all of those who are wicked before the Lord. Hell is a prison. There's not a prisoner in the world who says, let me go hang around the jail cell just for kicks. Or let me go make a prison my base of operations. If they know that they'll be sentenced, that their judgment will be finished out and carried out there, they don't want to be anywhere near hell. They're going to be here, just like they were in the Old Testament, just like they are or were in the New Testament. However, Satan and demons can only do what God allows and nothing more. And this is... This is fascinating to look at. When we see Satan and when we see demons, we get the, we get the idea, we get the sense that, that, they're, that they're running around, they're running amok, that they're just going around and they're kicking 
kicking down doors and they're doing whatever they want and they're having all kinds of kicks and giggles and that, that God looks at them and God's just like, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. That's not, that's not exactly the picture we get from Scripture. In Job chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan wanted to go up there. Satan wanted to, to do all kinds of wickedness and evil against Job, but Satan was not allowed. God set the parameters, and Satan can only do what God allowed him to do. Chapter 2, verse 6 furthers that in Job. It says this, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So afterwards, Satan says, of course he's not going to turn his back on you. Job's still going to love you because you won't let me attack him. And then God said, okay. To, to put it the way, the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Man, make him as sick as you want. Hurt him, but don't kill him. And guess what Satan did? He hurt him as bad as he could, but guess what he could not do? Could not kill him. I do think that the power of demons is probably less than the power of angels. And it certainly can be resisted as Joe read earlier. So what is the power of demons? In our we, don't have, we don't have people sacrificing to them the same way. So what is it they can do? They cannot know the future. They don't know our thoughts. Let's look at Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Who wants to read that for us? Who wants it? Who wants Isaiah 46, 9 through 10? Go for it. Who wants Daniel 2, 27 through 28? Go for it, Andre. So they cannot know the future, they don't know our thoughts. There's only one who knows our thoughts. Who would that be? God. God knows our thoughts. Read Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 for me, sir. God says there's none like Him who knows the end from the beginning. There is none like Him who knows the future. None like Him who has any awareness of what's going on like that. And that includes demons. includes Satan. What about Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 and 28? Okay, 
So in that story, in that story, you've got the, the king who's troubled over a dream. He's very worried about a dream that he's had. And he brings all of his wise men, he brings all of his magicians, and he says, I want you to tell me what my dream was, and I want you to interpret it for me. What does that mean? That means he's had a dream and he has been scared to death by the dream, but he can't really remember it. How many of y'all have ever had a dream and you woke up and you remember feeling something about that dream, but you can't actually remember the dream itself? Have y'all ever been through that? That's a weird thing to experience. Well, this one terrified the king so much that he's calling all of his magicians around. He says, I don't even know what my thoughts are here. I don't even know what my dreams are. You need to tell me what it is, and then you need to interpret for me. And no one could do it, of course, because no one knows the thoughts of mankind. But when Daniel shows up, Daniel comes around and he says, I don't know it, and neither do the magicians, neither do the wise men, neither do the astrologers, but God does. God knows your thoughts, God knows your dream, and God knows how to interpret it. And Daniel trusted in God, and God told him. So if they can't know the future, if they don't know our thoughts, what can they do? They can observe. And I think then they can kind of inform or tell fortune tellers. or They can be like witch doctors or things like that. When we went to New Orleans a few years ago, we did not go down into the worst part of New Orleans. But we did go into downtown New Orleans. We had the, the beignets. We heard the jazz. But there's one area in particular where they have fortune tellers. They have witch doctors. They have all these palm readers. They have all that kind of stuff. And they will mystify you and they will astound you. They will say that they are influenced or they are told or they are communicating with forces that are bigger and grander than themselves. And that they can tell you your future. Let me see your palm and I can tell you the things that you want to know. And they'll go and they'll mystify you and they'll blow your mind. Like I said, we didn't take our students down there. But it is a very scary thing to hear and to see. Just like demons had influence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they're still around today. And they still can influence and they can still guide and they can still prod. And the whole purpose, the whole reason behind their guiding and their prodding is they want to divert your attention away from who? God, if you can find out your fortune from a lady who can read your palm, what need do you have of God? If you can go and if you can hear a spell or get some sort of incantation from somebody else, well then what need do you have of God? They do desire to direct our attention away from them. They can't know our thoughts, but they can observe. 
They've observed a lot. Think of it this way. When Satan himself was approached by God, God came up to him and says, Have you considered my servant Job, who is righteous and blameless among the nations? There is none like him. And Satan looks at him and Satan says, Does he serve you for nothing? He says, You have placed protection around him. Of course he's going to serve you. And God says, Even if you take those things away, he's still going to serve me. And do you know what Satan says? Satan says, I tell you, Job will deny you and curse you to your face. It's because he's observed and he's watched people for centuries. Do you know how sure you've got to be to go up and say, nah, God, you're actually wrong about this one? I mean, just think about how sure you've got to be. So the demons have power in our world. We've seen that they had it in the Old Testament. We've seen that they had it in the New Testament. We've seen that they're still around in our time. And the next slide. So then what is this demon possession? What is this? Well, the term demon possession is actually never found in the Bible. There is statements that says have a demon is often used. And we won't look at all those. But having a demon is often used. Matthew 11, 18, Luke 7, 33, 8, 27, John 7, 20. And in 8.48, and verse 49, and 52, and then 10.20. And Mark chapter 5, I'm not going to read that whole thing to you. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 might be the only case where a person could not exercise any will of their own, but was completely dominated by demons. And that's the story where it says they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of uh, Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, I love this, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. So what God does, what Jesus does, is he sends those legion of demons out of the man and into a herd of pigs and they go careening off of the edge of a cliff and die. That might be the only case in the Bible where we see that a person can't have any exercise or exercise any will of their own. All the other ones say that they go through fits and they go through difficult times. And that sometimes they kind of act normal, but then they'll, they'll just, uh, there's one instance where they're coming down from the hill of Mount Transfiguration where it says that one of the child, the child who was demon, uh, had a demon would just periodically throw himself into a fire trying to burn himself up. But that sometimes he'd be okay. Or we see... Uh, Mary Magdalene who had these demons and, and, and you get the sense that, that 
that she was ravished by them, but, but it wasn't all the time. Do you guys, have you all ever met anybody in today's time who maybe has convulsions or will sometimes go through really bad fits? I drive a bus for the Burkett Center. The Burkett Center is a place where kids go that, that have very hard disabilities. Some of them are physical disabilities. They'll never be able to get out of a wheelchair. I've got a little boy who'll never be able to get out of a wheelchair. Some of them are learning disabilities. They'll never be able to learn or grow in their understanding past just the most basic level. And then there are some, and I've seen it a hundred times, who will just convulse. Their body will just contort and they'll jerk around and they'll flop to the ground and they'll go mad. And then it's over just as quickly as it began. I'm not going to say that that's always a demon, but guys, when we read the accounts in Scriptures, we see it stuff like that. And we still see things like that in our world today. But what's the point of it? Why do it? What is the point of a demon doing anything like that? To draw our gaze and our eyes away from who? God. Because if they're throwing themselves on the ground, well, maybe we can medicate them to where they won't do that. Maybe we can send them to doctors. Maybe we can send them to, to specialists. And sure, they can help and they can do good. But they're trying to direct our gaze off of God Himself. Next, can a Christian be completely dominated by a demon so that he cannot obey God? Well, the answer to that is a resounding no. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says this, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So they will never be completely dominated by a demon so that they cannot obey God, but a believer may come under demonic attack. Let me read that to you. Luke chapter 13. I'll read verse 11 and then verse 16. And it says this, And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. This was a lady who trusted in Christ and touched the garment of his, or the hem of his robe. And skipping down to verse 16, it says this, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be, looked, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So who does Jesus say was the person who had bound her up for those 18 years and that blood 
uh, and, and the problem with her bleeding. He said it was Satan. And not all affliction is demon attack, but all affliction is a reminder of sin. So do demons still have power today? Yes, they do. They're still around. They still kick up and they still do that. But notice when we went to the Scripture, I never, never once had anybody read any Scripture where all of a sudden a man went up with holy water and threw it all over them and all of a sudden it burned the demon that was inside them. I never, never once had a Scripture read where a priest walked up and he said some sort of special incantation from Latin. I never once went up to you and I never said that there was a scripture that says that if you've got a demon that you've got that you're confronting someone with a demon that you can see it and that you can that you can tell it and master it. No. Never once was that in the scripture. Why? Because a demon's chief concern is to direct your eyes off of Jesus Christ and is to direct your eyes off of God Himself. If there is any resistance of the devil, if there is any overcoming of demonic and satanic forces, it is not through rituals, it is not through holy water, it is not through special incantations, it's not through going to the church, it's not by saying the right words, it's not by anything that the popular media is going to tell you, but what was it that changed? What was it when we read the Scriptures? In the Old Testament, you had there was no instance of demons ever being cast out, but then who shows up on the scene? Who came that changed that? Jesus. If there is any resistance of the devil and he will flee, if there is any overcoming or if there is any overpowering, if there is any ability to resist sin... It is not through our own forces, not through any power like that. It is through Jesus Christ, the very one that they try to keep your eyes from looking at. It's only through Him. So we're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to praise Him because we want to put our attention only on Him. Let's pray. The band is going to come up and we're going to sing to Him. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love You and we do praise You and we thank You for this, this lesson from Your Word, Father. And even though it's, it's, it's daunting to consider and even though it gives us a, a look into a world that we're not going to understand. And, and maybe it would be easier just to think, well, Hollywood's got it and they, they can tell us uh, things that, that, that we can wrap our minds around. Or maybe television shows or media, they, they can communicate these things to us in a way that we can understand. Father, I ask that You would help us to grasp the reality that these things exist in a plane that we don't understand. And the only way, the only way we have any accomplishment, the only way we have any, any success, any resistance in any of these areas is not because of what we can grasp or what we can do, Father, but it's by looking and trusting only in Your Son. Father, I pray that You would help us to love Your Word to love its teaching. And Father, I ask that Your Spirit would 
use even a lesson like this to help us to desire Your Son all the more. And it's in His name we ask these things and for His sake. Amen.